Well, good afternoon from wonderful, sunny, and warm Tyler, Texas. Um, happy September 13th to you. Hope this has been an enjoyable day. I hope you've had a chance to worship with God's people, either um, online, uh, through some means, perhaps in person. At our West Irwin Church of Christ, we have seen our uh, crowds uh, starting back up again, very uh, week by week, a little bit of increase. And a good group this morning for our Bible classes at 9 a.m. and our worship service at 10. Um, we're encouraging everyone to be safe and to keep their distance and to wear their masks when they're coming in and out. But we have had a good group. We had a really good group this morning. And then many others, of course, online worshiping with us. Some of our church family coming back for the first time last week and this week especially for uh, after this crazy pandemic that's continuing uh, to be around, and yet God's word continues to be spread, and his people continue to meet uh, together, either uh, online through the wonders of our uh, electronic uh, internet technology, um, or through um, being there in person. It's been a real blessing. Good crowds this morning at our church for our Bible classes. We have so many wonderful and incredible uh, teachers. If you have not seen our um, our little tour that our children's minister, Donnie Cook, and I uh, took everyone on, uh, scroll down from my Facebook page or our West Irwin Church, one of their, our Facebook pages there, and be sure and take a look at the wonderful, uh, wonderful ways that God has blessed us. And it's wonderful to know that those uh, rooms that uh, are so beautiful and so uh, wonderfully uh, prepared for children are now having children in them, and that's uh, we're very thankful for that. We continue to be conscious again of the spread of uh, of this disease, and we ask God's continued uh, blessing on us. So, um, in this time, uh, it's wonderful for us to be able to be sharing from God's Word from the Book of Philippians, and uh, today, um, one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. Uh, just an incredible, incredible uh, passage, which is actually, interestingly enough, not even the point of the Apostle Paul, but rather illustrates his point, and yet it is um, something uh, very incredible. I'm looking forward to sharing from Philippians 2 with you today. So hello to my friends Larry and Lynn Murphy. Wonderful to see you joining us. Also my cousin Gail, great to see you. Hope you and Keith and all your wonderful family are doing are doing well also, and uh, looking forward to uh, being able to see some sense of normalcy coming sometime soon. But in the meantime, we're glad uh, we're glad to be able to to do this and to participate together. Um, so uh, hopefully, you have your Bible uh, uh, open to uh, Philippians chapter two. I'm going to be sharing again uh, from the first eleven verses, um, but uh, did want to tell you. As the title of this uh, lesson shows, that uh, this this passage is the best illustration ever. Um, it's not the point, but it illustrates the point in such a wonderful, wonderful way. And one of the perils of sermon preparation is using an illustration that outshines uh, the message. Uh, I I think all of us who speak in church have to have to be conscious of that. We have to remember what the message is, what the point is. And, um, and, and, and use the illustration properly. Um, again, a well-placed, uh, very appropriate 
illustration can make a real difference in having an impact with people. That is definitely true. Whether or not um, you make your point and you get that message across, sometimes the difference can be the illustrations that you use. I've always been one to be very conscious of that, um, of, of that illustration overpowering uh, what God's message really is. And I've always been one who is very much uh, connected in my preaching and in my teaching with God's Word, because I think that's, that's where the authority is. It's not in Bill, but it's in the message that Bill is very blessed to be able to, to share. I've been doing that for well over 40 years now, uh, since graduating with a bachelor's degree in Bible from wonderful Oklahoma Christian College, now Oklahoma Christian University, uh, way, way back in 1978. Uh, so that's been a blessing to me to be able to share God's Word uh, with others and to see that Word lived out by so many of you uh, who uh, continue to live and and serve in so many Christ-like ways. And that's really the message of Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. So if the message is um, not um, what we're reading today in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, this great incredible passage, then what is the message? Well, let's look at the message again. We, we looked at it last week, and so I'm not going to re, re-preach that lesson, but let's make the point and, and um, remind ourselves of the message and then uh, listen in as Paul uh, shares the, the best illustration ever. Uh, the point is seen in verses 1 through 4 of Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, to the interests of the others. What a powerful message that is. And again, I I urge you to listen to the lesson this past uh, Sunday on uh, September the 6th that has to do with these, specifically with these first four verses in Philippians 2. Because Paul is writing to this church that he loves so dearly that has helped him so much. This church that has actually demonstrated the things that he just talked about. Uh, Christian unity, Christian selflessness, not selfishness, but a selflessness that is willing to give uh, for the sake of others. Paul experienced that from the Philippians firsthand, starting with wonderful, amazing Lydia. As we opened up this study and looked at the church at Philippi in modern-day Greece, um, we were introduced right off the bat to this woman by the name of Lydia that Paul met when He and Silas and Timothy went to a place that looked like a place of prayer, and sure enough, it was, and sure enough, Lydia and some others were there, and they preached the message of Christ to them, and Lydia and all of her family uh, were baptized into Christ, and then she said, Paul, I want you and your group to stay at my house, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, And, and that was the beginning of Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi, and as we have seen earlier in chapter 1, Paul described their relationship as a partnership in ministry, a fellowship in ministry. That word fellowship is used there. Uh, Koinonia, that word that is translated partnership, 
Uh, and it involves that sharing together in the ministry that Paul was doing. And they did that by financially supporting him. In chapter 4 of Philippians, he acknowledges their gift that they sacrificed to send uh, to him. Uh, Philippi was one of those Macedonian churches that he speaks about when he writes to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and in chapter 8, he, he uses the Macedonian churches as an example of what it looks like uh, to give for the work of the Lord. And that started with Lydia, and that continued on even while Paul is writing them from a prison in Rome awaiting uh, his trial before Caesar. Um, and so they lived out everything that we just read, this idea to put others before yourselves, this idea to uh, continue to serve rather than to be served, as Jesus described in Matthew chapter 20 and elsewhere, and as he lived his own life in that way, uh, serving rather than being served. And he is going to be the example that Paul thinks of as he considers all of these things in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, looking out for the interests of others rather than yourself. We call that sacrifice. We call that being willing to not get your way, being willing to have some difficulties in your own life or some things that could be better if you just acted selfishly uh, rather than that, uh, being a servant, being willing to sacrifice those things so that others can have their way, so that others can be served. That's exactly where Paul is coming from as he writes to the Philippian church. And he gives them that message in the verses I just read, verses 1 through 4. And then I picture Paul uh, in that jail cell, probably knowing exactly what he's about to write. But I also picture him maybe thinking, you know, what would be a, a good example? How could I demonstrate to, to them through this letter what, what this looks like, what this actually looks like. Um, and so what he does is he goes back uh, to the person of Jesus. He goes back to talking to them about what it, what it is that they um, should consider as he thinks about uh, their own life in Christ. And, and what he does is he considers that incredible sacrifice that Jesus did for our sakes. And, and that's the illustration that he's going to use, and it is the best illustration ever. I remember reading these words uh, when I was in high school at Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio, that wonderful, wonderful church in devotionals with people like Russ Barty and Ellen and Janie Elliott and Greg and Relda Charleville and Gary Toothman and Karen Massey and Joe and Mike and Stork and all of their family and, and so very many others that I still hold very, very dear um, in my heart. And um, I, I smile when I think of them and I thank God when I think of them because of the foundation that they gave me, because of the way they lived these words out for me and for my family during some very, very difficult years while I was in high school. And, and yet that is exactly, um, that's exactly the memory. The memory is of these verses, verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2. Hearing these verses read while we sang um, the song, Jesus is Lord, a song we sang in our worship service today. And then having a part in there just before you sing the alleluias at the end, 
where everyone hums and someone reads or recites Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I, I remember that. I remember that and it still gives me goosebumps to think about and it still is so very, very powerful uh, in my own life, even now today, all these years, all these decades uh, later. Uh, so let's get to it. Let's read these words from Paul and then we'll kind of work through them a little bit and then we'll read all of these verses together. Uh, the message in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul's point of being united, of, of being servants, of being willing to sacrifice for each other, and the illustration that we'll read right now from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, and that's his point, that's what he's been talking about, their relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, the best illustration ever. As Paul considers, what can I do? What can I share with these people that will help them understand what I'm talking about, how we should treat one another, how we should relate to one another, as he begins, in your relationships with one another, in your dealings with one another. Here's what I'm talking about. And as he talks about unity, and as he talks about selflessness, and as he talks about sacrifice, and as he, he's basically talking about love, Christian biblical agape love, that love that sacrifices for the sake of others, that love that loves someone so dearly that they want to see whatever is best for them in their relationship with God be what happens, um, that love that acts in the best interest of the other. That's the kind of love that Paul is talking about. That's the kind of unity and the kind of service. And how to illustrate that, what is it that that needs to look like? Well, it needs to look like Jesus Christ. And not all the wonderful things that he did in this world, but actually that would be a great illustration as well. But before he ever comes to earth, that's where Paul begins. Um, have this mindset, this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in very nature, God. Um, the book of Colossians talks about how um, all of the things that make God God were contained in Jesus Christ, that everything that makes deity, deity, was contained in Jesus Christ, who, though being in very nature God, we talk about the nature of God and the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sang that wonderful song, that wonderful contemporary Christian song this morning, Wonderful, merciful Savior. Why is it titled that? Well, that's just the first verse. The first verse is Wonderful, Merciful Savior, but it's really not a song about Jesus, although it's, it, that's a great verse about Jesus, but it's really a song about the Trinity, 
a wonderful, merciful Savior. Uh, that, that verse is a very powerful verse, but the second verse is just as powerful. Uh, that comforting presence of God that is the Holy Spirit. And then the third verse, which in my view should be the first verse, Almighty Infinite Father. So he talks about the Almighty Infinite Father. He talks about the Counselor, the Comforter, the Keeper that is the Holy Spirit. And he talks about our wonderful, merciful Savior. This illustration here is talking about that. It's talking about our wonderful, merciful Savior and what he did for us. Long before he died on the cross, he first of all became human. And that's what Paul shares as he continues on. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The writer of Hebrews in the first few chapters of the book of Hebrews considers that, and he looks back to Psalm 8, that great psalm uh, that talks about how uh, the, the great love that God has for humanity as the psalmist is overcome with the fact that God would consider us at all, God in all of his greatness, and yet not only did he create humanity, he made us, Psalm 8 says, a little lower than the angels. And for us, for human beings today, that's an that's a incredible blessing that you would have a God and then you would have uh, the angels that minister before him constantly and then you would have us, humanity, mankind, to imagine that we're just a little bit lower than the angels and for the psalmist, the psalmist is overcome with that great blessing. He, he can't believe that God would give us such a great blessing but the writer of the book of Hebrews looks back on that and sees it fulfilled in Jesus in a very different way. Because in the book of Hebrews, he describes that, that Jesus himself was made a little lower than the angels. But for Jesus, it was not a step up like it is for us. It was a step down. He was very much God. He was equal with God. He was the son of God. And yet he did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to, but rather emptied himself. That great, great statement in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself in verse 7. He made himself nothing. He could have stayed in the very throne room of God, right there with the Father, commanding as he did, all of the angels being present in, in the presence of the throne room of the Father, as the Son of God, and yet he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Well, that's a great discussion, and you can chase that one down sometime. We're not going to have time to just focus on that incredible statement, that kenosis, that emptying that Jesus did. But we do know this, and the writer of Hebrews helps us, he made himself even lower than the angels. He was still the Son of God on this earth. He was still worthy of worship. He proved himself that he could still forgive sins, but he wasn't in the throne room of the Father. He wasn't in that eternal presence like he had before. And that began with a miraculous conception that we talked about this morning in our worship service about God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, and so Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because it was God who came down and dwelled within her as a conceived baby in the womb, uh, and then was born in the most humble of circumstances. And 
that's why we celebrate that that great story that we sometimes call the Christmas story. Um, such an incredible, incredible story, and it's little wonder that that story has captivated humanity since the very first time that that story was told. Um, the wise men coming to find that baby Jesus, and just the incredible array of praise and worship that comes from heaven itself um, with thousands upon thousands of angels celebrating uh, his birth and the lowly shepherds going to worship uh, at in that stable that night and then later perhaps in a different place, um, the wise men coming and bringing gifts. It's just an incredible, incredible story. But that's what, that's what Paul talks about, how Jesus emptied himself, how he made himself nothing. He was everything. He was the Son of God in the presence of the Father. And yet, for us, uh, he became nothing. He emptied himself and took the form, not just of human likeness, but Paul says, the form of a servant. As he says in Matthew 20, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so not only did he take on humanity, did he take on human form, he became a servant of humans. And again, that begins at his very conception, and it begins at his very birth, when he was born in the poorest of circumstances. These, this couple that was in, in uh, their homeland uh, of Judea, but far away from the home that they first knew up in Nazareth. And they had come for this census, and, and uh, Joseph was there, and Mary was there, um, and they weren't at home, and so they had, to, they had to find a place when it was time to have this baby, and that's, that's when Jesus was born. And then finally they go from there to Egypt and then go back to Nazareth when it's safe. Um, an incredible circumstance at the very beginning of Jesus' life, and we see him growing up in the humblest of circumstances. We sometimes wonder, why don't we hear more about the life that Jesus had as a child growing up? You know, we have that wonderful birth narrative and the trip to Egypt or the flight to Egypt, as it's called, not airplane flight, but the trip to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. And, and then that little episode at age 12 when he is, uh, gets separated from his parents as they are there in Jerusalem for one of the festivals and, and he's there in the temple. Uh, talking to those who were much older than he, but knew far less, uh, answering their questions and asking them questions himself. And then fast-forwarding to age 30 or so, when he begins his ministry, uh, begins his preaching and teaching, uh, doing great wonders, uh, went about doing good, is how Peter describes it in Acts 10 to Cornelius, and for all of that um, was uh, accused and condemned and put to death. Uh, what a great, great story that is. I don't know why we don't know more, but I think it's because all, all that could be said about him was he was, he was a child. He was a, a teenager. He was a young adult. And there was really just nothing, nothing to say. He emptied himself. He got away from the headlines. Um, he got away from the throne room of the Father and became human, but not just human, a servant became a servant, and then we see that in a special way in his life of ministry, this itinerant preacher. There were people who wouldn't follow him because he had no place to live. He, this world was definitely not his home, and that's how he approached it, and that's how he lived. He had a home base in Capernaum in the northern province 
uh, of Galilee, uh, near the Sea of Galilee, but uh, that was not his home. He uh, served and he ministered. He went about doing good. And for all of that, he was accused. And so the story continues in Philippians 2. The illustration continues. Being found in human likeness, he took the very nature of a servant. And verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he took on humanity. He humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to leave heaven at all. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was active in creation. And the Word brought light out of darkness. And the Word came and, 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 and showed us what grace and truth looked like, lived out in this life. Because John 1 verse 14 says that Word became flesh, the incarnation that's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 2 as well. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us and demonstrated to us and brought us grace and truth. Both, not either, both grace and truth. The love and mercy of God and also the Word and will of God. Jesus brought us both and He lived by both. And that's what Paul says here. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Because that was the ultimate end of Jesus' life. And he knew it. He knew it. Several times in the Gospels, we see Jesus taking his disciples aside and telling them, the Son of Man will be delivered to the hands of sinful men, and the Jews will deliver him over to the Romans, and, and he will be uh, denied justice and he will be condemned, and he will be crucified, but he will raise, be raised from the dead. Jesus says, that's all going to happen to me. That's all going to happen to me. He knew that from the start. And yet, Paul says, even knowing that from the start, he humbled himself and did that for us. He became human. He became not just man, but servant. And he suffered even death, and not just any death but the cruelest death that mankind could ever come up with, death on a cross. Crucifixion that the Old Testament law said anyone who hangs on a tree is accursed. And that was one of the reasons why people like Saul of Tarsus found it so difficult to hear this message that was now being proclaimed after Jesus' ascension and after the giving of the Spirit in Acts 2, that this group that were followers of this Jesus of Nazareth they were saying that he was alive, that he had been raised from the dead, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, and they couldn't believe it because Scripture says that anyone who dies on a tree is accursed. And Saul rejected it until he saw Jesus face to face. And then he knew. He knew that, that this, was, this story was true. And then they put it together in all of the Old Testament Scriptures, just as Jesus shared with those two on the road to, to Emmaus after his resurrection, before his ascension. Just as Paul, uh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and the others as well on the day of Pentecost. Just as Stephen preached uh, in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and, and then was killed for it. Um, just as Paul would preach himself and so many others. Calling us back to Isaiah 53, that incredible passage that the Ethiopian eunuch, that treasure, that official of the queen 
of Ethiopia was reading in Isaiah 53 after worshiping in Jerusalem on his way back. And Philip came to him through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and starting right there, told him the message that we're talking about today from Philippians 2. This great message of how Jesus emptied himself and became human and became a servant and lived and went about doing good, as Peter said, and then offered his own life as a sacrifice, um, submitting himself not just to death, but to death on a cross. But as we know, that's not where the story ends. The story ends with a tomb, but not a tomb that has the stone still in place, not a tomb that has the seal of the emperor over it so that no one can touch it, not a tomb that's still heavily guarded like the Romans did at the bequest of the Jews, but rather a tomb with the stone rolled away, the seal broken, and the tomb itself empty. That great moment when uh, Mary sees that, when Peter, uh, Paul, uh, Peter and John run to the tomb and, and, and John gets there first and then Peter and they both look inside and, and they're filled with faith in Jesus Christ, not just by what they see, but what they don't see. They don't see the body of Christ, but what they do see are those grave clothes that look as if they've just been melted down with gravity down to the place where Jesus lay because his body is there no longer. Um, that's what Paul says. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That hasn't happened yet. It will. It will. And we know that it will. But it, we don't see it just yet. One day it will. Uh, but right now, we're just the ones that follow Jesus' example and live our lives to serve others just as he lived his to serve us. Live our lives to sacrifice for the sake of others just as he sacrificed for our sakes. Knowing that that tomb is empty and knowing that the blood that he shed on that cross covers all of our sins and knowing that that is the gospel message that needs to get out to every person so that they can have the opportunity to know that story, to respond in faith and be baptized into Jesus Christ, and as Paul puts it in Romans 6, to be buried with him through baptism into death and raised to live a new life. That is the message of the gospel and the response of faith, and it began with this incredible story of the one who emptied himself after being in equality with God and yet not considering that something to hold on to, but rather emptied himself and gave that up and came and lived as a human being and lived the life of a servant, including being tempted in every way just as we have been, the writer of Hebrews says, yet never sinned. And because of that, he was the sacrifice, giving his life and not just through death, but through death on a cross. And now that tomb is empty. And now he is in his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And now he is just waiting for that time when the Father will say, Go. And he will come, and everything physical will be destroyed. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and every knee will bow. We pray with the Apostle John as he ends the book of the Bible and Revelation Come, Lord Jesus. 
We pray that that day will come soon. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we are to live a certain way. We are to live the life of a servant, the life of sacrifice, the life that puts others before our own. And the best way to understand what that looks like is the best illustration ever, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to end today with this great, incredible story. Again, uh, this is one of those places where the illustration just may overmatch the point, but the point isn't lost. And this illustration, these words that we just read in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, could very well have been. They sound very poetic, don't they? And some believe that they were an early Christian hymn, one of the first Christian hymns that we read about, um, that they, that church in the very first century, in the days of Paul and the church at Philippi, sang when they went to church themselves. This wonderful story, much like our hymn, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, and so many other great, great hymns and songs that talk about the sacrifice and the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, that's what we have just read. Um, but let's remember the point. Let's remember the message. And let's remember how the best illustration ever shows us what that looks like. So let's end this lesson today with this reading from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.